0: All right, everybody's getting settled back in, that's good. Week two of our series called Rhythms, uh, let's see if we can do a really quick recap, because I know not everybody was here last week. Um, last week we, we kind of kicked this off with a scripture, this is our key scripture, I'm going to read it to you very quickly, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, I'm going to read this from the message translation, here's what it says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. This is the phrase that, that God put um, where the word rhythms comes from. This is the phrase that I read that really got me thinking about this series. Jesus said, Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live life freely and lightly. Now, I told you last week that as we take this month and we start looking at rhythms, like different practices that we could implement into our lives. That would help us establish this rhythm. Last week we talked a a a lot about the beat. That you've got to have a beat before you can have a rhythm. And that Jesus is the one that sets the beat. Remember last week, three words, let Jesus lead, right? So he's dancing with us and we want to let him lead us through this little dance that we're on trying to figure out this rhythm thing. But I told you last week, and I want to warn you again today, we're going to put this picture up. Can we just show that picture quickly? I showed you this picture last week, and here's what I told you. This could be how you feel in the month of July at the gathering. This is a picture taken. This is an actual picture taken the day that Sweden switched from driving on the left side of the road to the right side of the road. Okay? They made a change in the way that they were doing things, and the result, the day that they started was chaos. If you're like an organized type A, everything in your house is alphabetical order, this picture is driving you crazy. You want to jump into the TV right now and fix that, right? And so sometimes what happens is when we start to realize there's rhythms that we should follow, we begin to realize that we haven't been following the rhythms and we start to try to implement them and it can feel a little bit like that. And so I, I told you that last week. I want you to know one, not to freak out if you feel that way because that's kind of normal, right? We're, we're learning new rhythms. The tendency that we have is, as humans is to take the first prescription that we hear that might fix our problem and run with it like crazy. I was um, thinking about the old um, Saturday Night Live skit where they, they kept saying it needs more cowbell, right? Remember that? When, it, when, when is it possible to have too much cowbell? No, it is actually possible. When all you have is cowbell. Like if I stood up here and only played cowbell and nothing else was happening and I was hitting that cowbell with everything I had, somebody's going to come here and punch me. You're going to take that cowbell out of my hand. You're going to throw it out the window, right? When that's all you have, it's like, dude, stop. And so the temptation's going to be, especially if you're here, and you are tired, and you are worn out, and you feel burned out. Now I know our passage says burned out on religion. You can be burned out on all kinds of things. If you feel that way, the temptation is going to be to take one or two of these rhythms, and like that's what you do. I latch onto that, and well, I'm going to do that all the time, and it can just become like this annoying cowbell-ish type of a deal. And and you're going to be like, why didn't that work? Because we're talking about four practices during this month. I'm sure there's many more that we could talk about, but we're going to talk about four specifically. And these are all, like, in band. I know it's shocking to know this, but I played saxophone in high school. Let me rephrase. I was in the band. And sometimes I played saxophone in high school, right? But, like, not everybody played the exact same thing. You had people, like, there were, the clarinets played one thing. And then, like, the trumpets behind me were always, like, blowing that really awful noise in my ear, And if you took one piece out and they just played that, you'd be like, what are you playing? But when you fill it all together, suddenly it completes the picture. And you're like, man, that's really good music. And that's kind of what we want you to do. Take these four rhythms, these four practices, and try to implement all of them where you are so that you can kind of learn this unforced rhythms of grace. What I'm saying to you, took a long time to get there, is that sometimes the unforced rhythms of grace feel forced before they feel natural. And so the next four weeks, uh, what we're going to do is try to help you practice these four rhythms, these four habits, whatever you want to call them. And today we're going to start with one that is extremely countercultural, okay? So just what that means is, it's a fancy term for everything I say, you're going to be like, I don't know if I like that. Right, because it's countercultural, and that's okay. When I say them, you'll be like, oh, yeah. So today we're going to talk about solitude and silence. Solitude and silence. Here's what we're going to do, um, just so you can have a heads up where we're going. We're going to break it into four parts. We're going to talk about what is it, who needs it, what does it do for us, and then how do we actually do it. Make sense? Those would be the four things. I think you'll see them on the screen as well. So um, let's talk first about what is it. What is it, solitude and Silence. So let's say, first of all, what it isn't. Solitude, and this is important for you because you're worried about this. Solitude is not becoming a monk and moving to a monastery, or becoming a nun and moving to a nunnery. Also known as none of your business, right? I mean, it's not about that at all, okay? Solitude is not that. Um, silence isn't the lack of all sound. That would be impossible. So let me give you uh, kind of a working definition. We'll kind of work through this. So a working definition of solitude would be the intentional withdrawal from social engagement. The intentional withdrawal from social engagement. And silence would be the absence of all human-created stimuli. Okay? I know, it's big. I should just drop the mic and we would be done right now. Y'all can just chew on that for a while. So solitude is the intentional withdrawal from social engagement. Silence is the absence of all human-created stimuli. Um, Let me see if I can explain that in a way that makes sense. Solitude isn't just being alone. And silence isn't just not having your music. So um, preteens, teens that are in the house right now, You can't get grounded by your parents and they say, go to your room. And you go to your room and go, I'm practicing solitude. Because you didn't intentionally go to your room. So people that are made to be by themselves, they might be alone, but they're not practicing solitude because they didn't choose that. It's an intentional choosing. Um, Most of the times when I go running, I will take my phone with me so I can listen to a playlist or maybe I listen to a podcast or maybe I listen to a sermon or whatever. So yesterday I went running and I just didn't take anything. I mean, I took me. I didn't take my phone. I didn't listen to anything. So was I practicing silence? Yes. Here's why. Because I I intentionally withdrew from human created stimuli, right? So was, was it completely silent? No, because I could hear a couple things. I heard um, birds. I heard cars when they drove by. I heard this weird sound. I couldn't make it stop. It sounded like this. (laughs) Right? You could argue that that was human created. I'm not sure. Um, But the point is, a lot of times we think, I can't practice silence because it's never silent. Right? Right. But you can practice this kind of silence. You can choose to withdraw from human-created stimuli. Mark chapter 6, verse 31, I'm just going to show you this. We'll come back to this verse in a little bit. Then Jesus said, hey, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't have time to eat. By the way, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I love Jesus, right? I love how he didn't turn to his disciples and go, Oh, you had not eaten yet? Suck it up and love the ministry. Because I've I've been around people like that. He was like, we should go somewhere and hang out so we can actually eat because these people are making it hard to eat. If you have the NIV, what you'll see is Jesus said, come with me to a quiet place. That's solitude. To intentionally pull away so that you can be alone. Okay, that's solitude. It's intentional. We're invited to go to a place of solitude. It's the intentional decision, decision to unplug that creates it. So solitude and silence make space in our souls and space in our lives. And it makes space for God to do a work in us and through us. So we choose, this is the hard part. This is the part that's countercultural. We choose not to fill the silence or to fill the space with our stuff. Can I teach you Counseling 101? I'm going to. You might as well say yes. Now, I'm not a counselor, but I did take counseling classes when I got my um, my MDiv. And so I kind of have a minor in counseling. And this is one that they told us. This always blew my mind. they said, your greatest tool as a counselor is silence. And we're like, Really? I said, yeah, so like when you're sitting in the room and you you ask a question and they don't respond, the best thing you can do as a counselor is just sit there and wait. I'm like, why? Why would you do that? That's so crazy. And they said, because people hate silence so much so that they will eventually break it by talking and they'll tell you things they never thought they would tell you. You should try it. You can't try it on anybody in the room because they know the secret, right? But you should try it next time you're in a conversation. And you know what's funny is that sometimes counselors will break the silence because they're so uncomfortable with silence. It's an amazing tool that helps us just, we don't like it. We just kind of sit. And I, look, I'm, I'm Pentecostal, right? So I, some churches are cool with silence. Like maybe they're too silent. But in Pentecostal churches, if it's silent for like five seconds, somebody's saying something. Right? Somebody's going to sing a song, message or whatever, prophecy, something's happened. It might not even be from God, but by God, they're going to say something, right? Because they just can't stand it. They just can't stand it. It's intentional. We choose not to fill the space because we want to allow God the opportunity to fill that space. Does that make sense? Is this clear enough what it is? So it's time set aside to do nothing. Holy cow. I can already hear some of you. You're like, I got way too much to do in my life to take time to do nothing. So this would be a good time to talk about who needs solitude and silence. You ready? So who needs it? One word, who said everybody? Yes. That's exactly right. And here's how we know that's true. Because solitude and silence were a huge part of Jesus's life. And if he needed it, who else would think they don't? So just a bunch of a bunch of verses. Look, you just write them down, okay? So um, how many of you feel like you have a lot on your plate? It's okay to raise your hand. You're just busy, you got a lot on your plate. I know there's seasons of that, but, man, sometimes you get in these seasons, it's like, holy cow, I have so much to do. And sometimes I think we make people feel bad for saying that they have so much to do, but sometimes you really do just have that much on your plate, right? So as much as we think we have piled on our plates, can I just say this, not to make you feel bad, but just to state the truth, Jesus had so much more. So think about this. Jesus was sent to save mankind, to reverse the curse of sin that's been present in humanity since the moment that Eve said yes and Adam stopped being a man to help her. He came to fix all of that. I would say that Jesus had a lot on his plate. Would you agree? And his to-do list trumps ours. So here's a bunch of verses, okay? We'll... Put them on the screen. You can jot them down. How did Jesus kick off his worldwide ministry? Mark 1.12. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. He kicked off his worldwide ministry in solitude. How did Jesus start his day? With a shower. No, in solitude. Mark 1.35. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. How did Jesus deal with the growing demands on him? Luke chapter 5, verses 15 to 16. But despite Jesus' instructions, he had just healed somebody and said, don't tell people who did it. But they went out and told him. And so the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. How did Jesus discern who would be key leaders in his ministry? Oh, that's easy. Congregational vote. Luke chapter six, verses 12 to 13. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up to on a mountain on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, after a night of solitude, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. How did Jesus recover from a day full of ministry, miracles and record-breaking crowds? Matthew 14, verse 23, he had just fed the 5,000. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. How did Jesus prepare for the greatest act of love and sacrifice at the cross? Mark 14, 32 through 36. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. So he took Peter, James, and John with him. Now there's four people. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then he alone went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not Mine. Are you seeing a pattern here yet in Jesus' life? Like in all these key places, Jesus pulls back; he withdraws to be with his Father in solitude. So I'm just going to say it again: If Jesus needed this, how much more do we? If he practiced the rhythm of solitude and silence, I mean, who are we to think we don't need it? We're we're kidding ourselves. So again, Jesus knows that we need it, extends that invitation to us in Mark 6.31, come with me. So just in case you're not convinced, let's talk about what solitude and silence can do for us, okay? Here's the benefit. And this is like, I know we're such a pragmatic society. We're like, it sounds good, Paul, but will it really help me? Right? And if it doesn't help me, I'm not going to do it. So here are the benefits that we get from solitude and silence. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. I would say this, that when we practice solitude, when we practice silence, we know God. Here's another benefit. We see God. Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. What is Paul saying? Just look up. Just pull away and see creation, and you'll see God. It's the same thing that the psalmist said in Psalm 19.1. He said, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. We see God when we practice solitude and silence. And then here's the third benefit. We hear God. 1 Kings 19.12. Now, listen, this is the end of a long story. And the prophet is in a cave, and he's like, I need to hear from you, God. And so there's this big, there's this wind, and then there's this earthquake. And the Bible says that, that the Lord's voice was not in any of those. And so we pick it up in verse 12, and here's what it says. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And that's when the Lord spoke. I love what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. He said, let us be silent that we may hear the whisper of God. So silence and solitude lead to reflection and self-examination. Have you noticed how loud silence can be? And I would argue, or argue is a bad word, I would um, would argue, let's go with it, that that's why we fight it. Because when we're really still and we're really silent, We really start to see ourselves. And that's uncomfortable. Quick, somebody, turn on the TV. Why, what do you want to watch? Nothing, I just want to hear the noise. Make the fan go higher. Download an app, just play some white noise, something, anything, because we can't handle the silence. Here's another benefit. This is um, from an Army Lieutenant Colonel, Michael Irwin. He said this, leading oneself is the foundation of leading others, and personal leadership comes through solitude. See, here's, the, here's the bottom line. Here's why solitude and silence are so important. This is your big idea this week. Because God deposits in us when we withdraw with him. When we withdraw to be with him, he's able to deposit things in us. I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone running, and as I'm running, I just have these thoughts. Like, I'm just thinking, and it's like God just starts to speak to me, and I'm like, i got to run home faster so I don't forget this stuff, right? It's amazing. Um, I, I don't have it visually to show you, but you can imagine it in your mind. Have you ever just just take a jar sometime, right, and just fill it with a bunch of dirt and water and stuff like that, and then just shake it up as hard as you possibly can, and then set it down and try to look through it. can't see through it. But if you just let it be still and let all that stuff settle to the bottom, eventually you can see through it again. That's what silence and solitude does. You want to know why you can't hear God? Because this is your life. Everything's swirling around. You can't hear Him. You can't see Him. You can't know Him. And solitude and silence allows us just to Settle. Now, I'm not saying this naively, right? Again, if you are in a season where you have a lot of stuff on your plate, I know that right now what you're thinking is it's not possible. Like, I hear you, Paul, and I really want it, but it's not possible. Listen to this, this quote from A.W. Tozer. I know some of you men are, are studying a book that he wrote. I'm not sure if this comes from the book. But he said this, if a man wants to be used by God, he can't spend all his time with people. That's deep and powerful. What a call to pull away. Withdraw with God. You'll be amazed at how much you'll grow in power, in conviction, and in confidence just by implementing silence and solitude in your life. So let me um wrap this up. Let's talk about how to do it. Okay. How do we do this? If you're here and you are convinced that this is a rhythm that you need to implement in your life, and I hope that it's all of us, right? If you're hearing like, yeah, I'm hearing you talk, and I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm willing to try, then I want to give you just a few um, first steps, and I want to just say this. They could be awkward first steps. It's like, um, how many of you videoed your kids when they first took, they took their very first steps, right? And you're like, this is awesome. And really, you're just, you're just videoing a drunk person, right? That's all you're doing, right? They're just, they take a few steps, they fall down. But you're just like, this is amazing. They're wobbly. And that could be how you feel when we do, you start doing these. It's not going to feel natural. Again, back to that picture of, of the traffic in Sweden, you're implementing something new, okay? But I would strongly suggest as you're praying about the greater steps, let's start with the first steps. Here's just a few. You can jot down the ones that you want to remember. If you have a daily commute, once a week, turn the music off. You're already in the car. Just turn the music off. Wake up 20 minutes earlier than the rest of your house. Or stay up 20 minutes later. And just sit. Not to catch the news, just silence. How many of you, I hope everybody raises their hand here. How many of you take a shower daily? Looking around the room, there are people that did not raise their hand. We should have an altar call right now. I don't want to get too practical here, but I would suggest that you turn your shower into your personal retreat. I didn't say buy Bluetooth speakers that are waterproof. I mean, you should just go hang out with the Lord in the shower. That was creepy and forget I even said it, okay? But you know what I'm saying, right? You should just invite, that should be your personal retreat. So go in the shower and and turn it into solitude. Sit with a journal, go for a run or for a walk without your phone. These next two are going to be these next three are going to be hard. Um, turn off the television. For everybody that's um, 25 and younger, log out of Netflix. Turn off your phone. When was the last time you even did that? And I don't mean like turn the volume down and set it next to you. I mean turn it off. Put it aside and just be with the Lord. Those are just practical tips that you could, you could start. You could start those today. It's how badly do you want it, right? I love the story of Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley and all of their children. Uh, their, their siblings, there were a lot of them. And they had a one-bedroom house. And she had like, I want to say 10 or 11 kids. Some else could probably correct me, but there were a lot of them, right? And um, Hey, moms, dads, you know, that's a lot of kids and a lot of noise. And the only way that she could practice silence and solitude was she would take her apron and put it over her head. And she taught her kids, when the apron is over the head, don't talk to mom. Because that's my time with God, right? And so there she, I'm just saying, your world does not have to be perfect nor ideal, Just start pursuing these practices. You just have to have a desire to want to be with God so that he can deposit something in you that you can use whenever you're allowed to be with people. See, God deposits in us when we withdraw with him. And so if you've got nothing from God, I would just challenge you, withdraw and be with him and let him put something back in you. Um, One last tip. Don't worry. Boy, this is so important. Um, Do not point to the people in the room that are perfectionist. Okay? Because I know you're married to one. Right? I know how that works. Don't point them out. Okay? Just. This is the most important tip. Don't worry about doing it right. Just do it. Just start where you are and let. The rhythm develop. Um, I thought about how we could end today's message on solitude and silence. How would you end a message on solitude and silence? Just as we're closing this out, let me make sure you see how the gospel is in this whole message. The reason why he wants us to have solitude in our lives is because honestly, the busier that we get, the easier it is to miss him. And he just simply wants us to hear him call us, call to us clearly. He's calling us back to himself. That's the message of the gospel. And so when we're still. And we begin to know that He's God. We also begin to know that He's a God who pursues us. And what I want you to leave here today is that. I want you to leave knowing that, man, He's pursuing you. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never chosen to follow Him, this morning He's pursuing you. And I can guarantee you this, if you'll turn the noise down long enough in your life, you won't hear a judging God. You'll hear a loving Father who's calling you home to be with him. Not home like you're going to die tomorrow, but you might, right? But just to be with him. And I would love to be a part of you answering that call today. If you're here this morning and you just sense him calling you to that, you can talk to me. You can grab the card. It's in your chair. You can say, today I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Turn that in to the VIG table. Let us know how we can help you as you journey with Christ. But I want you to know it's not about practicing silence so that we're better people. It's about practicing silence and solitude so that we hear the voice of our Father calling out to us. God, this morning as we leave, we leave aware of your presence. We leave knowing this, God, that in a crazy world where there's a lot of stuff going on, You've created us, designed us to steal away moments of silence and solitude. I pray that tomorrow on the way to work, cars in this church would be turned into sanctuaries. That radios would be off. That our phones would be silent. That we would simply be with you. Not with an agenda just to be with you. And that we would become more and more aware of who you are. We would see you and know you. And we would hear you. I can't wait, God, to see the way that you direct your people as we still our lives to hear your voice. In your name, Jesus. Amen.